0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Kia Sanderson. Uh, she's an MD, assistant professor of medicine as well. Uh, She focuses on chronic kidney disease. I guess they call it CKD and and dialysis. So, Tia, thanks for coming.
2: Yeah, glad to be here and to talk to you today.
1: So is your work uh, research or is it clinical or is it teaching or a mixture?
2: Yeah, it's a mixture. So I take care of specifically children who have kidney disease and that encompasses children who have mild kidney disease, children who have severe kidney disease and are on dialysis, and children who have received kidney transplants. And in addition to that, I am a clinician researcher who is focused on kidney outcomes in particular on children with complex medical histories, in particular children that have been born prematurely. Um, and then oh. I also, also, yeah, I do do some teaching here or there with our medical students, so. It's the best of all the worlds for me.
1: So, yeah, I, I thought kidney disease was reserved for you know, older people, but under what circumstances do kids get it?
2: Right. I will say that kidney disease in children is rare, but it does occur, and the instances that it does occur are often what we would call congenital, so things that children are born with. So abnormally developed kidneys, um, abnormal developments in the urinary tract, so even beyond the kidneys, so the ureter and the bladder, um, all of those abnormalities can contribute to kidney disease. So that's the most common cause. Now, there are some children who have kidney disease because they acquired a medical condition such as, for example, lupus. But the overwhelming majority of my patients, unfortunately, have kidney disease because of something they were born with.
1: Oh, so what are some examples, like how does kidney disease manifest in kids versus adults? What happens to them is different.
2: Right, and this is part of where my research arises from. Um, The challenge with kidney disease in adults and in children is that oftentimes it's asymptomatic until the later stages of the disease process. And oftentimes, because it's asymptomatic until the later disease stages, we're meeting children when they have maybe more severe disease that is often irreversible. The symptoms that children can have are elevated blood pressure, and sometimes that symptom, so for example, chest pain or headaches, those are often later in the stages of high blood pressure. So that can be one challenge. And then other symptoms can be swelling, and because of that swelling, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, um, and, and as you would imagine, it requires quite a bit of swelling for someone to get to that point, which is why, unfortunately, we do meet some of our patients, some of our children in the later stages of their disease.
1: What age, you know, so we're just talking about kids, uh, is anyone born? with uh, CKD or born with these kidney problems or high blood pressure, or is it only after they're a few years old? Like, how does it manifest?
2: Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. So there, there is a wide spectrum. Yes, there are uh, infants that we take care of that, and that I personally take care of, that have kidney disease on the first day of life. So they are born with a significant abnormality in their kidneys that has led to kidney failure on day of life one. There are some children who uh, move throughout their childhood and they're very healthy and experience then decompensation and kidney disease at any point during their childhood. And a lot of that depends upon the severity of the congenital or the kidney abnormality that they are born with, how severe it is. And then also, I mentioned acquired diseases. So it also depends upon the timing at which a child develops one of those autoimmune diseases and i would say that the autoimmune diseases that contribute to kidney disease tend to be more common in adolescence so that's the spectrum that that we often see at, at really at any at any time during childhood we're seeing expression of kidney disease unfortunately
1: well again i would think it'll be very different because in a child the kidneys are not beaten down by years and years of bad diet or other problems so i would think they're much more resilient and so maybe it opens up a lot more treatments for them or different kinds of treatment
2: yeah so you're right they are children are healthy they have healthier hearts and you're right there is a a lot to be said for being exposed to high blood pressure for 20 years like an adult may be in comparison to a child who's five or six years of age and so Yes, you're right. The the beautiful thing about my job is that children are resilient um, and we, we see children who sometimes are very sick in the hospital um, do really well as things settle and out, as treatments have uh, been employed. But sometimes, you know, b- based upon what kind of kidney condition you are born with and how severe it is at the onset of life, it can really make the manifestation of disease quite variable. Uh, In terms of treatments, so unfortunately, there are not a lot of great treatments for kidney disease that you are born with. So whereas, for example, you were to have an infection, there are antibiotics that can treat that infection and lead to resolution. When you are born with what we call a congenital anomaly, so that means your kidney is not the proper size, does not have the proper structure, um, or does not have enough of the functional cells that you need for your body to be maintained um, in homeostasis. And those uh, children, unfortunately, there's no medicines that make that better. What we can do is treat blood pressure because we know in research that if we control your blood pressure, that we will delay progression to kidney failure and and the need for dialysis. Um, There are medications that we can use to help uh, your blood counts because, as it turns out, your kidneys to help regulate your, your red blood cells in your body. There are medications that we can use to help regulate the salts in your body, your phosphorus, your calcium. These are all things that are also regulated by your kidney and be, can become abnormal if you have abnormal kidney development. Um, but these are not actually treating the underlying condition, which is an anomaly of your kidney. And, and so, unfortunately, Beyond treating the blood pressure, beyond treating some of the other sequelae of having kidney disease, the options are dialysis when children have kidney failure, and ultimately our, our goal is to to get children to kidney transplant if their kidney disease is severe enough.
1: It sounds like you're saying some of them are born with uh, I guess we have what a million nephrons when we're we born do. typically. Uh
2: uh-huh roughly so a
1: kid a kid that has not enough how many do they have
2: yeah so we have research that tells us it's quite variable so uh, i live in uh, the research land of looking at kidney outcomes after preterm birth we know that your nephron so these are the functional units of your kidney the cells that are needed to help your kidney function um, are developed primarily in the second and third trimester and so if you are born before term, before you have completed development of your kidneys, then you are born with fewer numbers of kidneys. Similarly, children who have an anomaly that developed in their kidney, even if they are born at term, meaning at 40 weeks gestation, they will often have fewer nephrons. And so because of that, the remaining nephrons are doing the work load of maybe two or three. And the result of that is that they essentially are overworked and they over time um, become diseased themselves. So they, they burn out. And there's many studies that show the there's, there can be variation, but sometimes children are born with 50% fewer Uh, nephrons than what they should have and if that's the case then they're more likely to express kidney disease earlier as opposed to a child who may have some abnormality in their kidney development or may have been born a little bit later in the preterm period and they have more nephrons than I might expect their kidney disease to happen later in childhood or hopefully maybe you know later into adulthood.
1: Before we continue the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in the ability to request specific topics or guests and more visit finding and click support us today. Now back to the show. Is there any, um, so are both kidneys typically affected equally when someone has a problem when they're a kid or is there an unequal uh, effect? And if so, is it left or right or
2: sure? That's a great question. Um, There, it depends. So there are some children who are born with a defect in just one kidney. And as you would imagine, so the other kidney is normal. And many of those children do quite well. So they function as one would if they had a single kidney. um, And so maybe there's a higher risk for high blood pressure in that scenario because you you do have fewer nephrons in total, you don't have two million, now you're working with one million, but um, your risk for severe kidney disease is much lower, then there are some children who have genetic defects. So these are things that just, um, mutations that just occur spontaneously in the development of the child that has led to uh, abnormalities in both kidneys. Um, And so, again, this is one of those areas where there can be quite a bit of variation depending upon the developmental abnormality or the programming that has happened at the genetic level.
1: Is there any particular uh, kidney issue that kids predominantly have more than others?
2: Yeah, the most common is, and this is among 70% of our children, have what we call a congenital anomaly of the kidney and urinary tract or cacut. And that means it's a, it's an umbrella term for a variety of genetic abnormalities, um, developmental abnormalities that have ultimately led to um, kidneys that are smaller in size than they should be kidneys that are cystic. And so they have cysts where normal healthy kidney tissue should be. Um, It it encompasses a large group of developmental abnormalities of the kidney. So there's not one specific developmental abnormality that sticks out or that, is, that leads the way. But ultimately, CACA means that there was a programming issue in the development of your kidney that has led to um, abnormal nephron number and abnormal nephron morphology. So they're, they're not normal shaped or sized. And that contributes to um, greater dysfunction in your kidneys after birth and kidney disease that sort of progresses over time. I like to think about you know like a factory that is that is supposed to have a certain amount of expected output. So there's two factories that typically do the work and those are the two factories that we all e- expect to have. And those are, you know, your two kidneys. And if you take one factory completely away, the work is still expected. And so the remaining factories just becomes overworked uh, trying to compensate for the load that has now been, um, expected of it because of the loss of, you know, an, another, uh, the, the other factory, the support system.
1: Yeah. Is there any remodeling of the kidneys in young enough kids? You know, when they're first born, if something happens, can the kidneys uh, accommodate somehow?
2: We don't, we're not seeing that so far in our research. What we are seeing is that if you were born preterm, there is some, what we call glomerulogenesis, so development of your glomeruli, which are actually the structures of your nephron. they That happens in the first 30 to 40 days after birth. And we're seeing that that's a critical time where we need to be more thoughtful about the way that we manage infants who are born preterm, what medications they're receiving that can affect nephron development or glomerular development, how um, should we be feeding infants who are um, having active development of their life? So these are things that are that are emerging in our research world, but we have not so far seen consistently a pathway that contributes to remodeling uh, of the kidney tissue at this point. But I, we're hopeful that we will find pathways, and there are certainly researchers that are exploring ways to um, improve what we call ex-utero glomerulogenesis. So if you were born preterm, what are ways that we can help protect the, the last few weeks of glomerulogenesis so that you have the best chance, the best number of healthy nephrons moving forward?
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
1: So, in, in normal development, when are the kidneys fully developed?
2: Yeah, you, at term. So, they are fully developed at roughly 36 to 37 weeks gestation. And so, oh, wow. yeah, so any infant that is born before that time, consistently, the research shows, will have a fewer number of nephrons in both kidneys.
1: So, what happens to, uh, you know, what, what decides whether, you know, your baby is preterm? they're going to be okay kidney-wise or they're not.
2: Right. This is the, the area of, of research, the, the, the direction that I'm going in. Um, I, the short answer is that there are a lot of factors that are playing a role in addition to preterm birth, I believe. So um, in addition to just the fact that if you were born preterm, you are more likely to have fewer nephrons. If you're born preterm, you're born during a period of, there's going to be some development of your kidney ex utero outside of birth. And so there are certainly medications probably contributing to decrease in nephron number. There are, again, there's nutrition that probably plays a role. How we even oxygenate babies after they are born preterm has been shown to play a role in normal um, nephron development. And then it's ex- emerging and exploding area of research is looking at acute kidney injury and neonates, so in infants that are born preterm, and the role that that plays in long-term kidney health. And it turns out that that actually probably compounds the risk for kidney disease even greater for infants who are born preterm or who are born with a congenital anomaly of their kidney and urinary tract. So the direction that I'm hoping to go in is to um, find mathematical models and ways to um, risk stratify infants who are born preterm or who are born with a congenital anomaly of their kidneys to help us with direction. Who needs the more advanced kidney health follow-up Versus who is going to be a lower risk for kidney disease and may not require as significant follow-up from a kidney health perspective over time.
1: If a child has a congenital defect, I mean, is there much that could be done, even if you do stratify them? Like, you know, what do you do for the uh, the most difficult cases?
2: Right. So the most difficult cases they are seeing regularly seeing their pediatric nephrologist, and although they may leave the neonatal intensive care unit or their newborn nursery without blood pressure medications, for example, they may not be hypertensive. We are watching them very closely for the development of hypertension because we know that that, if it is developing and not well controlled will lead to progression of their kidney disease to kidney failure, needing dialysis and kidney transplant. So we're watching closely for that. Um, and we're watching for some of the other signs of progressive kidney disease that we can help to manage that are associated with more rapid progression. If you have protein in your urine, there are medications that we can use to decrease the protein in your urine, and it turns out that that will slow progression to kidney disease. So, um, yeah, children that are born with a known anomaly of their kidneys Probably are going to have more close follow up as opposed to there are cert- there are certainly children who are born sure. preterm who um, have n- no problems with their kidneys they you know are discharged home with their family and they do wonderfully well but you know it's not clear how well and how frequently they should be followed but but we do know that there is some risk for kidney disease so there's there has to be some sort of follow-up. We are trying to divine that as we speak.
1: Well, if you look, you know, under a microscope at the structure of, uh, you know, a a newborn's kidney that's developed properly versus not, or, you know, one that's not properly developed versus an adult that is now a mess because of disease, what are uh, the significant differences you see?
2: Right. So again, we've, we've done research in that world, and what we have seen is that children who are born term- um and are are doing well they have normal shaped normal size nephrons or or glomeruli Um, and then they have a normal number of glomeruli and they have normal kidney volume because we have data that tells us this is what normal is for infants Um, in comparison to uh, children who are preterm um, there can be some variation but what we typically see is fewer nephrons the nephrons that are present or the glomeruli that are present are abnormally shaped, abnormally sized and scarred. Some of them are already scarred. And in comparison to an adult who maybe has had uh, certain diseases that um, lead to kidney disease and kidney failure, we will oftentimes see very similar changes in the kidney structure, meaning we'll see scarring in the glomeruli or nephrons of adult um, kidneys that have disease in the same way that we would see in some of our preterm um, infants.
1: How could it happen so quickly? You yeah. know, if if uh, some scarring takes years or decades, how could it happen in weeks?
2: Right. That's a great question. Um, what we think is hyperfiltration. So this is a phenomenon where, again, it's sort of back to that being overworked. Um, depending upon the the burden of disease, disease in the pediatric or kidney, depending upon how few nephrons you have, it often will affect the hyperfiltration or the degree of hyperfiltration in the kidney. And hyperfiltration is the word that I use to simply say that how overworked the glomeruli are. And so if you have fewer nephrons, those nephrons can very quickly become overworked surprisingly, and then become scarred much more quickly than we would expect um, in comparison to what we see happening in adults, which is, you know, a lifetime of exposure and and perhaps disease contributing the other difference is we see this in adults who we assume have 2 million nephrons right so their reserve if you were born term and you made it to 30 our assumption is that you have a normal complement of nephrons and so you have greater reserve and so it it may take a quite a bit longer and a quite a bit more of an exposure to disease before we start to see the changes on a microscope that we might see in a preterm infant who has quite a, a bit fewer nephrons at baseline, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I guess the regulation of the nephrons and the uh, well, the immune system hasn't fully developed. The homeostatic drive hasn't fully developed.
0: Right. I don't
1: even know what else is happening, but I guess that all those things would allow the uh, you know very quickly the uh, the kidneys to scar and not be functional instead of it taking decades normally.
2: Right. It's about reserve. And um, there's other things. So as a an infant is born, they go from an environment where they are depending upon the blood flow and the oxygenation from mother to depending upon their own lungs and their heart for oxygenation. And it takes time to get adjusted to that. And it takes preterm infants even longer. And so um, your kidneys are an organ that really depend upon oxygenation. Your heart and your lungs are almost are also premature, and your kidneys are 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 really even more dependent upon oxygenation um, because they are really still they're still actively developing. They are particularly um, susceptible to injury, um, and I think that certainly plays a role in comparison to adult an adult who. Um, again, has a normal complement of of kidney functional cells, and um, and is uh, I'm as, I'm assuming having a normal heart and lung function at the time.
1: So, are there any uh, novel therapies that are out, you know, to help uh, kids with kidney problems?
2: Not yet, but they're happening in the adult world, and so that's exciting because we hope that we can soon begin looking at it in the pediatric world. So there are medications that are being used for adults that have diabetic nephropathy, so kidney disease because of diabetes, um, which have been shown to um, lead to slowing progression of kidney disease, if not making their kidney disease better. And there are recently, um, I think, emerging data about the use of some of these medications in in adults who don't have diabetic kidney disease. So it seems to be um, a promising area of research in terms of, in the nephrology world, in terms of maybe finding a drug that that actually helps treat and prevent progression of kidney disease. And so I'm hopeful that over time, we'll be able to um, identify this drug as a resource for our pediatric patients, Um, but time will tell.
1: Know, anything else that you've noticed in looking at the kidneys or seeing their function or anything that mystifies you? I'm sure there's a lot that does.
2: Anything that, in particular that sticks out, that's a great question. I think that the kidneys are incredibly resilient, and there's still a lot that we we have to learn and a lot that we don't understand. I, I would say what what surprises me most is that and this is the the challenge with kidney disease is that I have taken care of some children who over time have had progression, unfortunately, of their kidney disease. And I could estimate based upon the lab work that their kidneys are functioning at five to 10% of normal. And what is amazing to me is that even though I see that on the lab work for our patients, they don't necessarily have symptoms that reflect how severe their kidney disease is, and I find that to be amazing and fortunate because I I certainly don't want any of our our um, patients to experience symptoms or to have to to have to have any difficulty um, functioning because of their disease. But it tells me that there's a lot that we still don't understand about the kidneys if People are able to function and go about their regular everyday lives with 5-10% of the kidney function um, and so that that's fascinating to me I'm happy that that our our patients aren't having to struggle with symptoms of kidney disease but I think it just um, it means that there is a lot that we don't understand and that will I'm sure be ev- evolving over time um, you know, as we are looking into research, looking at artificial kidneys and, and uh, how to optimize kidney replacement therapies. Uh, um, You know, I think understanding that will help as we try to understand ways to, to support patients with kidney disease.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Kia, what's the best way for people to find out more? And if they have, you know, God forbid uh, they have a child that you know appears to have kidney issues what what are some resources for them
2: yeah there are so our, there's UNC kidney center our our website has information and resources for our patients to to look up and read about adult and kidney disease so that you you can turn to the there's organizations the national kidney foundation has a website that provides a lot of information for parents and for Um, adults who have kidney disease and have questions about resources and, and, and where to, where to go for, for help. And so that's a a great place to go. And then I would say, ultimately, a great resource is your primary doctor, because they will be able to direct you to, um, here's, here's a you know a great resource. Here's a a nephrologist that I would recommend, or a pediatric nephrologist that I would recommend, and that I'm going to connect you with. Um, so I would I would look into those places. And I do want to say that you know I've talked about pediatric kidney disease in children. It's it is still incredibly rare, and I and I don't think that um, every parent um, needs to. Um, have concern particularly raised if your child is doing well and growing well. I think if you have a child who has been born preterm, I think asking questions about blood pressure and do does my child need more kidney monitoring is a, is a great question to bring up. Um, but I also wanna reassure parents that um, it's still incredibly rare in the, in the magnitude of 15 per, per million age-related population um, among children. So for the most part, children are healthy and resilient.
1: Okay. Well, excellent. Well, very good, Kia. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Thank you for your time.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.